Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, tonight I want to be in Daniel chapter 2 and uh, just uh, go over that for a little bit of a study tonight now, just to keep us up to date with uh, everything uh, that is going on. Uh, Daniel and his three friends, you know, they're part of the royal family of Judah. Uh, They were brought to Babylon in the first wave of captivity around 605 B.C. They were teens, they were handsome, they were smart, and they uh, were impressionable. And and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar put them into training to be part of his government. And they were faced with uh, the prospect of compromising their faith. But they didn't compromise, they stood strong. And uh, they actually came up with alternatives that would still kind of meet what the king was trying to get at, what the king desired, but also came up with a way that they're still able to do it that's honoring uh, to God. And so because of their faithfulness, God gave them grace in the eyes of all of those around them. And uh, they successfully went through the three years of training, and they came out top of their class, and they were given very important uh, appointments uh, within the bureaucracy of the Babylonian Empire. But soon after they started their positions, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that bothered him greatly, and so he called his sorcerers and magicians, um, I, I liken them to the Department of the Occult, is what I call them, uh, they're part of their, his cabinet, and they come from the Department of the Occult. And, and he relied on them to interpret the supernatural, I guess. And they, he figured, well, they should be able to interpret um, the dream, uh, to tell him what the dream meant, which was going to be an impossible task to begin with because the dream came from God. And pagans are not able to interpret what God is up to. So, Nebuchadnezzar, he came up with kind of a twist to things, either because he didn't trust them or because he couldn't remember the details of the dream. He just knew it has significance. So he, he told these guys, these sorcerers, enchanters, and all them, he, he said, you got to tell me the dream, and then I know you can give me the interpretation. I mean, they try to kind of wiggle their way out of that situation, but... You know, there's no way for them to know the dream. And so they kept telling Nebuchadnezzar, we can't, we can't do that. Just let us give you an, an interpretation. You tell us the dream and we'll give you an interpretation. But his edict was firm. If you tell me the dream, then I know you can tell me the interpretation. Well, now they kept arguing with Nebuchadnezzar, which might not have been the smartest thing in, in the world to do. And so the king became very furious. And in his anger, he ordered that all of the wise men in the nation be killed. I mean, not just the guys in that one department. It's like ordering the whole cabinet and all the departments to be killed. I mean, Department of Defense and Department of Treasury and everybody, just kill them all. So, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what department Daniel and his friends fell into, but the edict to uh, kill all these wise men included Daniel and his three friends. I mean, they actually were probably the top wise men 
around. And, and so Arioch, the king's uh, guard, captain of the king's guard, I guess, is how he's described. Uh, he's going forth. He's going to, you know, the king ordered this. We've got to do what the king says. And so they come to Daniel. And, and Daniel was given grace in the eyes of those around him. And so he asked Arioch to be brought before the king. And, and that was granted. And he reasoned with Nebuchadnezzar, saying, okay, just give us a little, little bit of time. We'll tell you what you need uh, to know. We'll tell you the dream. We'll tell you the I interpretation. Um, and uh, so because Daniel and his three friends, well, Daniel was really the only one that went before Nebuchadnezzar, but because they had uh, grace in the sight of the people and, and because um, they had grace in the sight of the king and, and they were found to be talented, they were found to be trustworthy, the king said, okay, I'll give you time. But now, they had a limited amount of time. I mean, they had to come up with an answer. And they had the prospect of death hanging over their head. So what are they going to do in this crisis? I mean, not many of us have probably, we've all gone through crises of different sorts, but we may not have ever gone through a crisis quite like this. So what do they do in the midst of this crisis? Well, what are we going to do now? Well, that's where we pick up the story. They show us exactly what we should do. And so I want to read verses 17 through 23 in Daniel chapter 2. And this is what it says. So this is after him meeting with the king. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel's, Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He, ch he changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. He met with the king. The king's edict was firm. You tell me what the dream is, you tell me what the interpretation is, otherwise you die. I'll give you some time, Daniel, just because you're Daniel, just because I trust you, but time is short. So Daniel goes back to his friends and tells them that what the king said and that the king did give them some time to find the interpretation. But now, consider this. I mean, first, I mean, Daniel actually thought that he would be able to help the king out. I mean, he wasn't just making things up. He, you know, he wasn't just like the other enchanters. Well, let's see if we can buy some time. And it's, it's going to seem strange when you read the book of Daniel. Because it might kind of go against our natural inclinations. 
Daniel actually wants what's best for the king. He actually wants the king to succeed. He actually wants this kingdom to be successful. And, it, you know, one of the reasons being, if the king and kingdom aren't successful, I mean, things won't go too well for the Jews who are dispersed throughout the empire. Daniel wanted to find the interpretation of the dream. He wanted to help the king out, not only just because it would save his own neck, but he wanted, you know, he is a man of his word. He is a man of integrity. I want to find the answer for you, king. And so Daniel knew there was only one way to find the dream and its interpretation. And so here they are in this major crisis. There is nothing within themselves that can fix this. I mean, they're not going to be able to just come up with the dream. I mean, they don't know. So what do they do? Do they worry? Do they fret? Do they murmur? Do they complain? Notice the first thing they do when faced with this crisis. It says in verse 18 that Daniel told his friends to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so they wouldn't be destroyed. The first thing they did in the face of a crisis was to join together and go to the Lord in prayer. They had faith that God would help. Now, they didn't presume that God would just kind of let the answer fall on their lap. Sometimes I wonder if we think that if we worry enough, if we complain enough, that God's going to, you know, go ahead and, and fix things. But the Bible doesn't say that God answers worry. The Bible doesn't say that God answers complaints. The Bible says that God answers prayer. And we know that's always with the caveat that he's going to answer prayer according to his wisdom, according to his time, and according to his purpose. Sometimes his wisdom and his time and his purpose seems to go crosshairs with ours. We kind of have an idea of what we think should happen. But that doesn't, that's not the way God works. But in this crisis, Daniel and his friends sought God in prayer earnestly. And I'm going to stress that word earnestly. That means they spent more time praying to God rather than worrying and complaining to God. And I wonder... If we would see God work in many wonderful, powerful ways, if we would pray more than we complain or worry. I mean, just think about that. If, if we would pray more than we complain and worry, how different things might be. But rarely is prayer our first answer, but it was the first answer of Daniel and his friends. They sought mercy from God. And they had faith that God would do something. They don't necessarily know what, but they were praying that God would give them an answer. They were in a crisis. 
but they sought God in prayer. God answered their prayer. In verse 19, it says that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So, during the night, God gave Daniel this vision, and in the vision, he gives Daniel the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, as well as the interpretation of the dream. Now, I don't know how much time has transpired. I, because, well, one, I, I don't know how much time the king gave Daniel to come up with an answer. So it's a possibility. Sometimes, you know, the Bible summarizes things. So it's a possibility that this all happened in one night. I mean, that afternoon, he gets time from the king. They pray that night and then you know, that evening and then that night, God gives the answer. I mean, that's a possibility. But the narrative is just kind of summarizing things for us. But I do know this. Daniel and his friends didn't just pop up some sort of tiny little five-minute prayer and then just kind of go on with the rest of their day. Because here's the thing that I don't know. This is what I, I do and maybe you do it too, yeah, okay, I might go to the God in prayer, and I'll pray, then I'll end my prayer, but then I'll spend more time worrying or fretting over whatever in the world it was that I prayed about. I'll, get, I'll pray to God for five minutes, and then spend hours worrying or fretting about what in the world is going on, instead of, you know, flip-flopping that, kind of, sort of. And, but they, 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 they did that. Their, their, their prayer was earnest, and not only was their prayer earnest, their prayer was persistent. They persevered in prayer until they received an answer. So if it was longer than one night, you know, if this time period that's summarized here was longer than one night, well, guess what? If there was several days here, on day one, Daniel and his friends prayed. Do you know what they did on day two? Daniel and his friends prayed. And if there was a day three, Daniel and his friends prayed. They were in a constant state of prayer until they received an answer. Another, another issue, you know, I, 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 am, I, I am just being honest with you about my prayer life. Sometimes, you know, you, you pray about something and then you worry about it more. And sometimes you just drop the matter then. Sometimes we get frustrated when we don't get the answer we want, when we want it, how we want it, as much of it as we want, whatever, and so we just kind of drop the matter. We have to be persistent in prayer when we're in crisis or even when we're not in crisis. That's, Jesus gives the parable of the persistent widow. You know, the, she kept going to this judge, give me justice against my enemy, give me justice against my enemy, give me justice against my enemy. And it says, finally, you know, the judge got so sick and tired of this woman and said, you know, I don't really care about her. I don't care about God. I don't care about anything. But just because she is bugging the stew out of me, I will give her her answer. Well, how much more if we persist in prayer to a loving God who is nothing like that judge, will he answer? And he will. Sometimes our persistence takes years. We hate that answer. I want an answer now. You know, sometimes you call out, 
call out to your kids and it seems like they're ignoring you. you hey, and you yell, hey, I'm talking to you. Because I want an answer now. I'm asking you something. Give me an answer now. You know, not that we would talk that way to God. But we kind of do expect him to be at our beck and call like that. Look, God, I'm talking to you. I want an answer now. No, it doesn't work like that. But you persist and earnestly pray. Um, This is something we can learn from. Because, you know, when, when I was preparing this and reading this and you know I, I, I was convicted because no my prayer life is nowhere near what I would call biblical proportions because when you look at the way and how and when that people prayed in the Bible earnest persistent my prayer life isn't like that you know, when, when, when something is going on, when we're in a crisis, whether we're in a personal crisis, whether we're in a crisis as a nation, you know, some weak little prayer for a minute isn't going to cut it. We're not going to see the miraculous power of God from a weak one-minute prayer. We're not going to see God just kind of blow us out of the water with His majesty and glory and might, with weak prayers. If we want God to to bring about true answers and and, and true change, we're going to have to go a whole lot deeper than the mamby-pamby prayers we normally give. And I'm preaching, by the way, I'm preaching to myself tonight. Y'all just happen to be here. Daniel and the boys, they earnestly and persistently prayed. And God answered. Again, Now, sometimes we might not like the answer he gives. Here's the thing we don't think about. God could have answered that they would be martyred for the cause. That could have been God's answer, but it wasn't. God's going to answer. But here's the thing with prayer, too. Prayer is not only about, Lord, give me what I want. Prayer is also about, Lord, change my heart attitude to be able to accept what your will is. Well, I want what I want, and that's what I want. Well, you know what? What about what God wants? And what if his purposes are greater than what you think you want? And so prayer is not only just about, like, here I am trying to force God to do what I want. That's not prayer. I'm bringing the request to God. I do have a desire for a specific answer, but but part of prayer is having your heart changed so that, you know what, I'm good with whatever answer God gives. I think of later we're going to run into this in the book of Daniel. When When the three other guys, you know, Hananiah and the rest of them, they don't bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar makes. And so Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, look, you either bow down to this image and worship it, or I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. God has the power to save us. But even if he doesn't, and that's a very distinct possibility, we're still not going to bow down and worship your idol. 
There was their heart attitude. You know what? God could save us if he desired, but he might not. But either way, we're going to do what's right in the eyes of God. Either way, we're good with the answer. But God does give them the answer. And God does answer their prayer and gives the dream and gives the interpretation. Well, okay, now what do they do? Now that they have the answer, what do they do? Do they just kind of spring into action? I want you to notice that after God gives them the answer, they return right back to prayer to give thanksgiving and praise and to seek God further. They recognize from whom the answer to prayer came, by whom, and by whom the answer would be fulfilled. So God revealed the dream, God revealed the interpretation of the dream, the meaning of the dream, and now God would empower them to bring this in front of the king so that the king understood what it was that whatever message God was trying to, to get through to them, which is something we'll talk about next week. So they start praying again. They didn't just say, oh, God answered our prayer. Okay, now I can go on my merry way and live my life. They went right back to God in prayer. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. They knew God alone is wise enough to be able to do these things, wise enough to run the entire creation, much less nations like Babylon and Israel. God, by his wisdom and sovereign power, is moving history along its course to its intended ends. And, and that includes the individual lives of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. God is in charge of nations. God is in charge of our lives. And, and Daniel recognizes the way that God, God's might is put on display. I mean, he's the one that changes the seasons. He's the one that removes and sets up kings. I mean, that means God's in control of everything. He's in control of the normal day-to-day -day operation of the universe. You know, there's a lot of things that we just kind of take for granted. The sun rises, the sun sets. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it's sunny. You know, we just kind of take it for granted that things are going along. And they are natural processes that are part of creation, but God is sovereignly in control of it all. The sun rose because God allowed it to and made it do that. God changes the seasons. Every three months, the seasons change. Well, at least in most normal places. Alabama, maybe not so much. But, you know, normally you have four seasons in a year. You don't just go winter, summer, winter, summer, and really nothing in between. But God set the universe up. He set the earth up. He controls it. And, and he's in control of the politics of the world. I mean, government, we, we can't escape government, unfortunately. And every society has a, a form of government. And every government, government has someone in charge. I mean, be it someone elected into positions like in our nation, or they inherited the position like a monarchy or something. But government and politics is inescapable. But these people are not as independent as they think they are. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand. God does not cause people to rule unjustly. But he allows them to have their time for a purpose and a reason. And they will be brought down and judged if they are wicked. 
And that's kind of, a, you know, he, he, Daniel recognizes that and he praises God for that. And that's actually kind of very important with what's going on here because that's kind of what Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is all about, the rising and fall of different kings and empires. And it's God who has the authority and power over that. He recognizes that God gives wisdom and knowledge. He, he, he knows he, he, you know, he, he knows that God gives government leaders wisdom to rule if they would so seek him. I mean, the entire book of Proverbs is, is God calling out to people, follow my wisdom instead of the world's wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he's going to be the one to make your paths straight. Now, in the prayer here in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel praises God that he reveals deep and, and hidden things. Because there's so much going on in the background. There's so much going on behind closed doors. There's so much going on in the darkness. And it says that God knows what's going on in the darkness, and he is the one that can bring them to light. But even more, maybe pertinent to this particular situation, there's things going on in the spiritual realm that we're unaware of. You know, most, you know, there's things going on in the invisible realm. There's powers and rulers and, you know, we, we all kind of lump them into the categories of angels and demons, but I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. And there's all this, thing, all this stuff going on. And Moses in Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to the Lord, but sometimes God brings those secret things to light. There's deep things of God. And you know what? It... Maybe we don't know the deep things of God because we're not seeking God deeply. Maybe God, God would take pleasure in revealing some things to us, but we're not, we're not seeking that. We, we, we like being on the surface level, so all we got is surface level knowledge and wisdom. We might be missing out on a whole lot. Not that God's going to give us some sort of secret wisdom or something. Not that there's a certain formula that we have to follow, but we have the Holy Spirit. And if we would seek God in prayer, the Holy Spirit will reveal deep things about God. We can get deeper with God if we would seek it. You know, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and, and 10, as it is written, what, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit searches the depths of God. And so God calls his people to do this in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to get our every, answer, or our every question answered. We're not going to find an answer to everything. It doesn't mean that every itch of curiosity that we have is going to get scratched. But I'll tell you what, we will get to know God more. Deep things of God. And we would have probably a, a, a more heavenly perspective on things if we would do that. And so that's what Daniel and the boys did. And they give praise to God for it, that he, they sought him deeply, they reveal, and so God revealed to them deep things. 
Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. See, they, they were able to know the king's matter because they sought God. So whatever's going on in your life, whatever crisis is going on, seek God, and then praise God for whatever insight he might give you about your crisis. You might not like God's answers to prayer. You might not like God's insights. But hopefully you'll allow him to change your heart about it, your heart attitude about it. And that's what happens when you seek him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.